0: For those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mellow. Nature foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He
1: fist is in.
0: It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mellow. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mellow. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mellow. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank
1: gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mellow. Why not, right eh? It's Martian Mellow. Thank you, Canada.
0: Everybody's doing it. Sometimes you just gotta let the cinematic movie trailer music run, you know? Just gotta, yeah. Just gotta get you hyped in the morning. Here we go. I'm- Uh, to this theme, by the way, I bought Noah a, uh, a really cool Batman action figure because this music kind of reminds me of like the Hans Zimmer Batman themes. Yeah. Couldn't care less. Just, <laughs> he has zero, in- and it's, I'm like, I'm a, whatever, it's fine. Uh, but he has absolutely zero interest in this Batman. Fi- it's like this big jacket, it's got a cape, it's got, and he's like, you know what? I would rather play with this piece of string because that's. <laughs> That's actually more entertaining, <laughs> like a man, the, the mind of a child. I wish yeah. I wish we could all just harness the entertainment value. They find in things because then we wouldn't be paying for, oh, my God, I need Netflix and Craven Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and Apple Plus. We wouldn't need any of those things. We would just be walking around with like a cardboard box and be like, today's the greatest day ever. Yeah,
1: I think superheroes are done.
0: Like the idea of superheroes. Mm, I think they're better and back and better than ever with Marvel.
1: Like yeah, the, but The way no, they're pumping out all those movies and people are just gobbling them up even though they're trash? I don't think they're gobbling them up. I think they're doing oh, bad. I was listening really? to a podcast this week and uh, they had Michael Rapaport on. And Michael Rapaport is a uh, comedian, but also he's been in a lot of movies. Actually, he's in Kyle Mello's top 100 movie ah. of all time. Number one, Men of Honor. <laughs> uh, he played a guy with a stutter on the show mm-hmm. or on in, in the movie. And he was saying... He's talking to like a ho- lot of Hollywood people and a lot of Hollywood people are like this craze of superhero movies is coming to like a slamming shut door uh, close. I feel like they
0: and when I say that they're trash, I just say that in passing. I, I my bias is also that I've never really been interested in these things. The only thing I've really been interested that I mean I didn't even like the Spider-Man movies. I've never been a fan of Superman comics yeah. or TV or anything. I've always been a Batman kid. I've always, when I was growing up, I was a Batman kid. I love the bat. So when you came in with the Christian Bale and the Batman trilogy, I'm like, this is awesome. And then I saw all the spinoffs of, like, I haven't even seen the Joker. Like, the Joker movie with... uh, The Joker's good. Is it? Okay, so I've heard that it's really good. But to me, there will never be a Joker that's as good as Heath Ledger. So for, for me, I'm kind of like, well, why would I... Why would I dabble into trying to recreate this character in my mind when I'm like I I think I just saw the the perfect version of this character? So I don't know. That's just me probably being stuck in my ways a little bit. Where I look at uh, that franchise and I'm like, this like Dark Knight Returns and. All the rest, I'm like that's that's the pinnacle. I don't know how you- I, that actually might be one of my favorite movies of all time. Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns, right up there with some yeah. of the James James Bond movies. Like I don't know how you get any better than those.
1: Yeah, but you bring up the point of like they're still making all of these movies. Yeah. Um, but you have to realize, right? These movies were planned three four years ago. Like it takes forever to create like a feature film. Yeah. Um, and apparently the planning of that stuff has stopped. Um, and that's <laughs> what I'm like down for i don't want to see another spider-man movie another superman movie batman movie it's like how many times you're going to tell the same story in a different way yeah it's true
0: uh, the one thing that i did hit on with noah which is great because he loves cars uh is that i bought him from walmart one of those like little 15 dollar transport trucks and it's got a thing on the top you press the button and it makes the mm-mm <laughs> and that kid sits there for an hour and we'll just press that button and every time that he presses it, he'll just look at me and be like how great is this like <laughs> pr- pretty cool buddy yeah good good uh welcome to the show everybody thank you for being here it is marsh and mellow we're excited to have you along for a recap of week 14 there's only two weeks left in the regular season and then we get into the playoff run very excited about that uh i just wanted to start off with two things regarding uh my CFL and tsn work i can't believe how many people reached out after i tweeted out that i was done for the year that was ridiculous like <laughs> and, and i'm not even saying like oh my god i'm so surprised about all the love i know that you people are way too kind i've experienced that multiple times over the past year whether it be our radio station getting shut down or getting the chance to call some games or when i've been calling games people tweeting out and saying oh i really like the call and all that uh, but to me it was overwhelming because the, the reach of the CFL and TSN, I haven't really wrapped my mind around. Like I see, we see the ratings, we see the numbers. It's like, you know, a bad game is 300,000 and you're Good like, game is like seven close like, to. Yeah. Seven, yeah six, it's like six or 7,000. And it's really consistent, but it's like, to be honest, I get a lot of the games that are pretty lowly rated. So I'm like, I'm oh, not really reaching that many people comparatively, you know, Dustin Nielsen and those guys in the West have got, you know, double cause the riders and the bombers are going at it on labor day or whatever. And then, you come to realize like, oh, 300,000 is pretty ridiculous. Uh, so when you send it out and people might not even know who you are, cause it's just a voice. You're only on camera for 30 seconds, twice a game. And, yeah. uh, and, but it, it was really, really, uh, amazing. Cause I sent that, that tweet out saying I was done for the year when I was just about to hop in my car, driving home. And I'll be honest too, like getting in the car, walking away from Tim Hortons, it was a, it was a bit of a feeling of a letdown because it felt like, oh you know I, I'm done like I don't want to be done you know I want to keep doing this I want to keep pushing forward and, and be involved in the regular season the plus, there's all these things happening there's just this feeling of like no you're you're on the outside looking in at this point which is not true because I got this going on with the podcast and I've got lots of cfl.ca stuff coming out for you as well but um, there was this feeling of like I love doing that it's there's nothing like being in the game deeply invested with 30 seconds to go in a one score one possession game whatever it might yeah. be And, uh, and so I was a little bit sad and that's, that's actually why I sent out that tweet was I was like sitting in my car and just thinking like, man, I'm so grateful for all of this. And I appreciate so much the opportunity to do this. I was like, I have so many people to thank, uh, and I, you know, not to put anybody out there, but I got this amazing text from Matthew Shinetti as well. Who's like the greatest teammate of all time. I think a lot of people think that Matt is, uh, you know, sideline stories and and Chuck Taylor's he's a lot more than that, that dude, (laughs) that dude sent me. One of the nicest texts I've ever had just about essentially saying, hey, I know you won't appreciate what you just did this year because you set a standard that's way too high for yourself and you hold yourself to way too. Because here's the thing, Matt has us in his ears the entire game, right? So during commercial breaks, if something is clunky, for example, when Simone Lawrence, (laughs) this was so bad, this past week, Simone Lawrence hits the 600 tackle mark. Jeremiah Masoli goes over 15,000 yards passing. I'm working with Dwayne Ford in the booth and there's an injury or a challenge or something like that. So we get a little bit of room to discuss these things. And Chris Edwards, my producer is extraordinary. He says in my ear, you know, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do that and now. Okay. So I'm like dancing through these things for about 60 seconds where he's throwing up a board of Simone and 600 tackles and, yeah. uh, and where he stands in the all-time Cats leaders. And then Jeremiah Masoli, and, and then I start connecting the dots in my mind. I'm like, okay, hey, Simone and Jeremiah came over together from Edmonton in the same trade and when I was talking to Jeremiah this first past week I was talking to him about playoff seeding and crossover games because BC was still on the hunt for all of that and and he said well his first year in Edmonton he was actually involved in a crossover game for Edmonton and I was like wow that's crazy to think because we think of Jeremiah as just a guy in the east but he actually has experience crossing over from the west early on in his CFL career so I'm trying to connect the dots on that I'm like you know Jeremiah and you know, Dwayne, it's interesting. Jeremiah and Simone came over together and the crossover is still alive here tonight. And as I'm trying to weave these things together, they're just like, go to shinetti go to shinetti go to shinetti down the sidelines. And I'm like, uh, anyways, uh, and I didn't even finish, come close to finishing the story. And because there were people talking in my ear, I just was rambling on and bouncing around. And I'm like, yeah, Simone and the Edmonton crossovers, crazy. Anyways, down to the sidelines, here's Matthew. <laughs> and when I did it, I'm like, oh my god that sounded bad and I there's things like that that on the broadcast you when you're driving home you're like "Ah, yeah no no that was so clunky and so bad so I apologize as soon as I did I hit talk back and said to Chris Edwards oh man that was clunky I'm sorry and he's like no no you didn't know you didn't know it's fine uh but Shinetti hears all that stuff so he texts me afterwards he's like I hear how much you criticize yourself and he's like just try to enjoy it. <laughs> it was basically his point and I was like oh that's such a such a good reminder because I feel like we all self-hate yeah. more than more than we probably should
1: it was funny because during the game when Simone recorded his 600th tackle yeah um it didn't even come up in conversation in the press box um and uh PA announcer Brian um in the press box uh, he'll usually say if there's any milestone thing mm-hmm. he actually pointed out Jeremiah had just passed the 15,000 uh passing mark. And, the only reason why I tweeted out that Simone had just recorded a 600 tackle was because of the TV broadcast. I had the TV above me, and I just saw <laughs> 600. Hey! I was like, oh. So I tweeted it out. And, uh yeah, so uh, congratulations to Simone Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Um, Only eight now behind Rob Hitchcock. Um so, so Rob Hitchcock was the special guest, as I'm sure you saw on the sidelines, because Shinetti was down there with <laughs> yes. Hitchcock. And, uh, but they didn't even tell me who it was. They just like, say special guest. I'm like, okay, sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, Rob Hitchcock eight ahead. I would assume that Simone catches him by the end of the season. Yeah. Um, two games left. I he mean, will. Simone's a four tackle a game <laughs> guy. <Yeah. laughs> He's got to be better than that. I would say that's for sure. So that, that was the first
0: thing was just a, a thank you and a fun little story there about just the, you know, trying to get my feet grounded properly in those clunky situations because I had more of them this year than I wanted, but whatever, that's part of, of learning the process. The other thing that I find funny. So again, I love peeling back the curtain here for you on, on our podcast. Cause I think people that listen to our show have always enjoyed the inside of the CFL kind of, uh, you know, stories and background and framing, because I don't think you get that in a lot of other places. So, uh, I have been told after my first couple of broadcasts, Hey, have more energy. Like you need to, you need to bring it a little bit more. And I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. I, I totally understand that. And how it was explained to me by a TSN higher up was uh, you want to inform people when to look up at the television, because in the streaming age that we're in with people multitasking and trying to get dinner on and all the rest, it's like, you have to give them a reason to look up. And if you don't give them a reason to look up, then they're not going to experience the game the same way. It's not going to be memorable. And it said, You know, you got to find a way to bring that energy a little bit more. So I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So the last couple of games, I was really trying to kind of pump the gas a little bit and go out of my comfort zone, even at times and try to bring it for you, which naturally I am very excited about the game. It just doesn't always come out verbally because my mind is just constantly racing about what's going on in the game and how things are. So, you know, sometimes I get super excited because the free safety is blitzing, but I'm not going to yell, ah, free safety. It's just like, (laughs) I'm going to see it. I'm going to (laughs) be like, Hey, that's cool. But to me, it's like when i when I verbalize, "Hey, that's awesome or that's interesting, that's me being very excited. So anyways, uh, I was trying to bring the energy in this this game this past weekend. Brandon Bank scores a touchdown first time in the end zone all year first time into the end zone what was the in- last
1: time jeremiah hooked up for uh, was, hooked up with brandon uh, banks for a touchdown it
0: was calgary john pearlberg is an incredible stats man aside from all the other people i gave credit john Proberg handed me a note that said first touchdown since july of 2019 because of course jeremiah had the acl tear which means yeah. that it was pushed back even further than the last time that speedy b scored in the east final which was the last time because he didn't score in the gray cup and then he was injured in the gray cup in 2019 and then 2020 the pandemic so um so yeah it was July of 2019 against Calgary I believe at home uh, was the game where he got into the end zone from Jeremiah but I brought the noise on that call it's basically just screaming like I, and it wasn't Gus Johnson or anything crazy but I was I was trying to push the limits to see where I could go and I laughed so hard in the booth during the, the break after that because immediately I got tweets from people going close your eyes it's just a Ticats broadcast, <laughs> and I was like, "Ah, oh, there's no winning here," because I'm like, either you don't bring enough energy, and your bosses are like, "Hey, be more excited," or you oh. do, or, or you do bring excitement, and the team that happens to be br- bringing the excitement into the game, because sure as hell wasn't BC, uh, w- is Hamilton, and people are like, "Ah, Homer," and I was like, "Damn, I kind of wish this was like
1: not a Homer."
0: I was like, "I kind of wish this was a Toronto Edmonton game, so I could just scream about somebody random, and people wouldn't." And I'm not even like soft about it, or I just thought it was funny that the perspective and the perception of people when they don't understand what you're trying to do as a broadcaster is like, okay, I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to bring more energy. And, and, uh, and if it happens to be with a certain team, then people just make their own assumptions. It's like, hmm, that's not really how it works.
1: I've brought up this analogy before (laughs) CFL fans with every single week come, become more like MMA fans, (laughs) right? They don't like anything, right? Like CFL fans are like, uh, you know, some idiot on, on Twitter this weekend was like, Taylor Cornelius, 338 yards oh, that was the. Do you have anything good to say about Taylor <laughs> Cornelius? I'm like, yes, he's a very good 0-6 quarterback. It's, this
0: is the only thing I can put. Top two burner accounts, okay, right now in the CFL. Wait, are... am
1: I arguing with a burner account?
0: Yes, yeah, you are. Uh, <laughs> also, just don't I, – I have a personal policy that I do not respond usually slash definitely not argue with people who don't put their own face – or name on their account.
1: <laughs> this is true.
0: It's just a rule I have. It's like because I don't know who you are. Wait, and,
1: am, am I arguing with Brock Sunderland? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: no, I, I don't. I don't think it's Brock Sunderland. But I do think that the, I I know for a fact that there were a couple of years ago, um there were a couple of burner accounts of executives in the CFL that were discovered, and I had people tell me about them. And uh, I'm not saying that these are them, but. Amerifans and on Rough Riders. Uh, if anybody wants to look those up, you guys know too much about football to just be Joe Schmo huh. drink, drinking beers on Fridays. And I understand yeah. that you you have negative opinions. That's fine. You're entitled to those. But you know too much about football. Or you think you know too much about football, which is usually the sign of an executive, somebody who really feels like they know better than all of the media, like yeah. every every single one of the media. That's usually like ah, the media are idiots because you work inside of football. So, uh, and not having your name on those accounts, to me, that's uh, that's two check marks towards yeah. burner account of person working in league.
1: Yeah. So I got into it on Twitter with a uh the Rough Rider one. Um, haven't got into him into it, you know, with him yet. Um, and especially I had some Riders fans uh, on me this weekend because I'm like, uh, one look at Cody Fajardo's stat line this season, his production sucks. I'm I just going to put it out there. It was 12 games played, 11 touchdown passes, 10 interceptions. I'm like, it's not good.
0: Yeah, I wrote last week on CFL.ca about their offense and the fact that he went from one of the best deep ball passers in the league to one of the worst, if not the worst by far this year, I believe, if i have gone through it. and uh I mean the amount of turnover and the injuries and all the rest is interesting there, but that's that as a whole, that, uh, yeah, that, that trying to find some answers down the stretch, I find to be real intriguing with Saskatchewan because they, I got everything in front of them. They can accomplish whatever they want here and they, they can win the whole damn thing. If they put together four good quarters on the road against Winnipeg, I just haven't seen it. And I just, I doubt whether or not it's going to yeah. actually happen. So, uh, all right, let's get into some of the games of the weekend as uh, we want to thank our friends, our soulmates, course from fox 40 you can get back in the game with fox 40 visit fox40shop.com to check out their coaching boards gear and much more use the code cfp15 at checkout get 15 percent off of your order they are a huge 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 part of supporting us here at canadian football perspective they help us bring you the game so reach out to them and say thank you at fox 40 international is where you can find them on twitter and of course use that promo code again cfp15 at checkout fox 40 that's 40 shop.com is where you can go and get that uh, all right so bc hamilton uh we talked a little bit about Simone and being able to uh get into the the record books with all that jeremiah ends up hitting that fifteen thousand, which was pretty cool to be able to see uh but for me this game i think came down to it, it was tough because after the game dwayne ford and i were saying you know what do you want to do for the sports center hit in terms of the highlight packs And i'm like I mean, Don Jackson had another good game, 12 carries, 80 yards, and it wasn't super, super productive, but he did have a 31-yard burst, and having that change of of pace certainly made things feel different. Um, BC could not establish any sort of significant running game, I thought, outside of that one drive. Uh, Tommy Condell did a nice job. I thought mixing and matching, a lot of fullbacks set in, as they usually do in Hamilton with, uh, I think, 47% of the time was the number I had last week where a fullback is on the field for Hamilton that leads the Canadian Football League. But then he just comes out one drive and goes six wide he just sean thomas erlington is in goes six wide and they just chip 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 all the way down the field just short passing attacks spacing routes curl routes things like that so uh that that was nice to see and man lucky whitehead actually looked like lucky whitehead that we saw in the first chunk of the season this game unlike last saturday when i was calling two saturdays ago now when i was calling the game bc at toronto uh he did not look right in that first time around but he looked much better here i just i come away from this thinking hamilton looks like they are finally starting to round into form and how much more dangerous they would be if they had themselves Braylon Addison in the fold. But for BC, this is just going to be, and it's unfortunate because Michael Riley is very much in the back end of his career. How many years left he's got? One, two, three, four, I don't know. But it certainly, the majority of his career has already happened. And for BC, this is just a season of what could have been. Like I tweeted out way back at the, I want to say like maybe like week six, week seven, basically the midway point of the season saying BC has got Saskatchewan in BC, Winnipeg in BC, and then they didn't win either of those and they were very disappointing losses. Then you, like they got slapped by Winnipeg. They should have beaten Saskatchewan. They didn't. So that would have changed your playoff fortunes a little bit. You would have been more likely in the playoffs, more likely in the crossover. You could have caused Saskatchewan some trouble. You could have threatened Calgary more Then we heard from Rick Campbell. Cause I called both these Lions games, the Toronto and the Hamilton game. I heard from him everything that we want is in front of us. Like everything that we want is in front of us. We can, we're basically playing against Toronto and Hamilton to try and get into the crossover in the East. And if that doesn't work, then we got a tiebreaker for ourselves against Calgary down the stretch. And you look at these two games and it feels the exact same as the Saskatchewan and Winnipeg games, where it's like everything is set up for this team to go and get it. And Michael Riley, 330 yards. That's great, but no touchdowns. Like they just, they, they didn't produce in order to be able to win And 18 points. That might win you some games if you've got this world-beating defense like Winnipeg, but Winnipeg is historically good defensively, and BC just, I like a lot of their personnel on defense, but they just don't have the ability to beat you in one phase of the game. They have to play a complete game, and I just, I didn't think that they did this past week against Hamilton.
1: Yeah, Um, one look at the statistics from, you know, the 2021 season will tell you that BC has struggled to run the ball all year. Yeah. And that's a problem for them and all the responsibilities of moving the ball comes down to to Michael Riley and the rest of that offense. Um and I think if you're if you're BC Michael Riley obviously at the quarterback position maybe not other than a couple of games this year, Michael Riley has been serviceable. Um so you come back next year and I have no doubt that Michael Riley will be able to, you know, put some passes together, gain some yards. And all of a sudden the BC lions um, are the BC lions of what we think they could be. Mm -hmm. Um, But as for the rest of that team, I think defensively, um, I think right now they've given up the most passing yards um, in the CFL. That, that, that pass defense is not good. They don't really get much of a rush uh, on the quarterback. Yeah. So, so I,
0: I just wanted to bring this up because like when you're talking about their past defense, I w- I have the stats in front of me because I prepped for the game. So points allowed seventh best in the CFL, like their bottom three in the CFL and points allowed. But it's it's interesting because opponent net offense, 371 yards per game. That's the most given up per game in the CFL more than Ottawa in terms of total yards that they give up they can't get off the field on second down they allow 47 percent conversions on second down that's about like half of the time teams are moving the ball on second down whatever the down and distance is they're converting it um they can't get off the field on second down which means that they give up the most scrimmage plays to the other offense per game at 59.8 on average and then in terms of sacks like 18 the entire year and that's it. And and they've invested when I talked to Rick Campbell about this, and I'm really thankful for the opportunity to to kind of get some background on these things from some of these coaches and players. But he said, we've invested in young people that we think will help us down the line, like in the next evolution of the BC Lions. And part of that is the defensive line. Because Boom Gwacham looks like he could be an AC Leonard. And like the Jamal, it, There's this new body type, by the way, that's evolving in the CFL and defensive lines. And I don't know if it's the Willie Jefferson effect or not, but Jamal Davis in Montreal, AC Leonard, and Boom Guacham in BC, those dudes look different. Like they are, they're basketball players with muscles popping out of every inch of their body. It's just, yeah. So well, it's like Willie, right? We're like, exactly. A beast. Yeah. So they've, they've invested in BC in some of these players. And I think that that might pay off down the stretch, but for this season, 18 sacks is not going to get it done because sacks are game altering plays. And there's also been, I think I saw Dave Naylor had a stat last week that said, There has been an uptick in sacks significantly from 2019, and part of that's offensive lines getting dinged up as the season goes on, part of that's backup quarterbacks not getting the ball out quickly enough, part of that's starting quarterbacks who are still healthy, Mm -hmm. just not being in rhythm with certain receivers or whatever. The reasoning, you can find your own, but the reality is there's been more sacks given up this year than there have been in the past. And yet BC is dead last in the league at 18. So to your point, not to cut you off, but that's a major concern that they they can't get off the field. They give up second uh, down conversions at a a terrifying rate. Uh, And then they give up a ton of net offense and they can't get sacks on people. Like that's, I know there's a lot of reasons kicking. They should be two wins up if their kicking situation was better, as you said last week, Kyle. But yeah, the idea that, uh, they can get away with allowing the most net offense and not getting off the field and allowing teams to convert on second down and, and, in is, that's just not possible. You're not going to win games regardless of what Riley
1: does. I don't think. Yeah. And uh, if you're BC, it's back to the drawing table in terms of your kicking situation, Jimmy Camacho uh, doesn't dress for this game. They're bringing in Vogel and uh, Vogel. They uh, don't have a good day. Castillo. <laughs> what, what, Castillo missed a kick. And I'm like, what is <laughs> <laughs> the kicking <laughs> <we> situation just... <laughs> in the CFL? Uh, it's not been good this year at all.
0: Castillo's jersey, by the way, looked like he was a kid dressed up as a football player for Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) He was was wearing like an XL t-shirt that happened. It looked like somebody had printed out an XL t-shirt and put Castillo and whatever number, I think 14 or something that he's wearing on it. It did not look like a football uniform whatsoever. I found it so strange as he was jogging out onto the field for the first time, like...
1: Like, that doesn't look like that looks like he went to the pro shop and just bought something off the shelf it's weird. yeah i think the bombers are going to be in a lot better situation with castillo kicking the ball than uh, Mortada, uh because yes. that guy would he just looked petrified every time he came out to kick the ball he would he looked like uh oh what's that guy's name from the longest yard the kicker uh, <laughs> like that's what that's what he looked like he's just like uh yeah this is uh, he's not confident uh, this kick is not going to go well and you could see it uh, in his body
0: language yes for sure uh let's move on to the next game that we got for you here it was Saskatchewan barely beating Edmonton 1917 the Elks uh in their first year as the Elks again uh they end up going winless at home that's how you do a rebrand everybody change over your logo except sometimes not because your new quarterback is still wearing the double e logo on the sidelines uh call it fan appreciation night and then uh have not very many fans come out and then uh lose the game uh so that's basically how that one went for them 21 to 35 to the point of that person who said do you guys have any appreciation for taylor cornelius yeah he found danny vandervoort that's what i appreciate uh by the way
1: danny vandervoort your guy (laughs) you have to reach out to him that's the worst touchdown celebration i've ever seen in my life snail what the hell is that like he was doing was it the worm i don't know
0: i so i reached out to him and, (laughs) and i i didn't want to dump on his parade so i i just reached out and i said holy bleep dude and he responded with just like a laughing emoji i just dm'd him on instagram and uh and i said holy bleep dude and he said hey man and i said you made me feel young last night and the reason I say that for those that, that don't know is that Danny Vandervoort, who had three catches for 54 yards and two touchdowns in this ball game, and I get it, like they're they're testing out some bodies and they've got some bodies that were down in this game, whatever. But Danny Vandervoort in 2013 was the CIS rookie of the year, like the entire country. And I spent two years, 2013 and 2014, which were the only two years that I was a starting quarterback in university football in Canada. Just throwing Danny Vandervoort bombs. And when I say bombs, I don't even mean like, oh, I would load it up and throw it 70 yards. I don't I never had that strong an arm. But what I would do was, oh, Danny's running a corner route. Let me throw this as high in the sky as I possibly can. He'll come down with it. As long as I put it <laughs> as long as I put it high enough. He'll just he'll find a way. And I would say about 80% of the time when I gave Danny an opportunity to make a play, he made a play for me. And it it was one of just a, one of those cheat code feelings. And again, I've talked about this a lot, but like I had a lot of cheat codes on my offense because Declan Cross, amazing fullback. He was in my backfield. Wayne Moore, amazing running back. He was in my backfield. Dan Peterman from the Ottawa Redblacks, He was on the opposite side of the field forking from Danny Vandervoort. Mike DeCroce in my senior season was this like a perennial all-star wide receiver <laughs> that could dunk since he was like six months old.
1: Yeah. free Yeah. He, yeah like he's over there. So
0: <laughs> we, we had so much talent across the board and, but Danny was the one that was like this great, incredible, just blow your doors off. I can't believe he's making all these plays and he didn't have to make any of those grabs on his three in this game, but to see him getting into the end zone again, it flashed me back to eight years ago. It's crazy to think it's eight years ago when Danny was a CIS rookie of the year in 2013 and to see him just like separating and making grabs and celebrating and having fun. It made me feel like I was eight, 22, which was eight <laughs> years ago for me. And so I, I reached out to him and I said, thank you for making me feel young again. And he was like, oh, I'm just getting started, man. Like I'm figuring it out. And every day, you know, making a little bit of progress. So, um, it was, it was really cool to be able to see him do that. But Cornelius, I thought, like, here's, here's my thing with him, and this is why I believe he's either going to get beat by Arbuckle in training camp or why um, he is going to, I don't know, flame out at some point early in the preseason or early in the regular season, even if he beats out Arbuckle, is that he doesn't make terrible decisions and he's relatively accurate. I just believe he relies on the wrong characteristics of his game too much. Like, he doesn't have a very balanced skill set to me. Like, oh, the whole, hey, leaves the pocket, keeps his eyes down the field that's great but speaking of snail celebrations like he is sluggish with his release and with his throw timing and sometimes and sometimes with where he decides to go with the ball which that stuff should speed up with time you would think get him a real training camp and allow him to figure out the game even more but um yeah i i think he he showed out about as well as you could expect based on what we've seen from him at the start of the season when he came in for trevor harris this is kind of who he is at this point i'm willing to leave the door open for him to have success in the future i just think that Arbuckle's got more upside and i think that uh he'll finally get an opportunity to prove that for edmonton uh at some point here but saskatchewan specifically kyle what did you think uh on that because i this game was after mine so i really only caught the second half yeah uh, of it when i got home and i'm sure you were kind of the same i was you, in the same boat yeah yeah because you were getting out of tim horton's field but saskatchewan the, the production there i mean in terms of You know, just reading a box score is Cody's 24 of 33 for 241, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, William Powell, 14 carries for 46 yards, only a long of seven, though, uh, which that's a very Frank Gore stat line right there. 14 carries, 46 yards, long of seven. Uh, But then I thought it was interesting the, the target dispersion on offense for them because Duke Williams in his first three games, essentially his first game, he was low usage, high production. His second game in Montreal last week, he was high usage, low production. So he threw up like two diametrically opposite games. And I was thinking, okay, he's he's feeling it out. The offense is feeling it out. They're trying to figure out how much do we get on the ball? Where do we get on the ball? Where is he most successful? And then you see this week, he only had four targets. He had three catches for 62 yards and a mm-hmm. long of 38. But it very much feels like they're in a feeling out process, which to the credit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 2019, they had a feeling out process with Zach Claros but they felt it out in like two games. And then it was like, go. And they ran their way through the playoffs, three road victories and get the great cup for Duke. I understand he's a receiver, not a quarterback. I don't think this is going to be as fast of a, of a learning process. And I'm not even saying him picking up Jason Moss's offense. I'm saying in terms of Cody, knowing where and when and how to use him, it just, it doesn't feel like they've really got a good sense for it yet. And then in terms of Shaq Evans, who's your other star receiver, 12 targets led the team by far. Six catches, like 50% completion rate to your best receiver outside of Duke Williams is not very enticing.
1: Yeah. So a couple of things here in terms of Taylor Cornelius and his performance, it's the second time he's, you know, gone over 300 yards passing. The first one was the loss uh, to Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Um, And like there are, I'm going to say there are positives there, but we have to reel it back a little bit when we talk about positives, when it comes to the quarterback position, Look at the scenario in the game. They were down a boatload of points. Saskatchewan was 100% playing prevent defense, and he was just picking the open guy on the field. But can you do that from the beginning of the game? In the first half, he wasn't great. Like, this is my point. And this is my point with Cody Fajardo as well. I talk about the lack of production this year. You know, 11 touchdown passes, 10 interceptions. Cody Fajardo in that fourth quarter could not get a first down to save his life. And it allowed Edmonton back into the game. And that's why you have the final score that you did. Um, so I put it out on Twitter. I said, when are writers fans going to realize the problem is the face of the franchise? I look at Cody Fajardo and I think he has all the skill set in the world to be a premier quarterback in this league, but it just doesn't happen. His ability to throw the ball. I question. And. You know, I've talked about, especially early on this season, when he was taking all those hits, when he was trying to run the ball, I said, he's going to have to learn that he can't run over everybody in this league. Like he has to get down and play another down and not be injured like he was in 2019 in that West final uh, against Winnipeg. And now I'm thinking maybe that's the best offense that Cody Fajardo can put forward. Where it's like, oh, he's gonna run and he's gonna try to run people over, and that's the way he's gonna move the sticks. Because consistently when he's forced to throw the ball for first downs, it's not happening. Right. And if you're the riders, that is a paralyzing position to be in because you've clearly handed him the reins of the franchise.
0: I uh I I'm I have a hard time analyzing this because I, I don't think you have to choose a quarter to be most successful in, like to Milt Steagle's point about a win is a win is a win for Toronto, which we'll get to in a moment. The idea But if you...
1: Edmonton had half a clue.
0: Right, yeah. I'm course. sorry, and
1: I, I'll question Jamie Elizondo all or yeah. Jamie Elizondo all day. If Edmonton had half a clue, Saskatchewan loses that game.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's an embarrassing loss based on where Edmonton has been throughout the year and on and on. Hell, if Arbuckle plays, do they win? Like uh, that's a legitimate question that you could have because of the impact that a quarterback can have on your overall success and productivity. But uh for me I have a hard time analyzing which quarter is most important to be successful in, because I think who gives a damn whatever quarter you're most successful in doesn't matter as long as you win at the end of the game. But I do think, especially when you get to playoff football, starting well and ending well is hugely important, like especially in close games. And like, let's be real about this. Saskatchewan-Calgary West semifinal, if you do not start well and Calgary does and you are behind and you have to try and throw your way in and your running game gets taken away. And and if that snowball starts to go downhill and pick up steam, that's that's difficult and in this game as you're trying to crank it up and get set for the playoffs the first quarter drive chart for cody Fajardo was interception on one play then a punt after five plays where they went backwards one yard net and then three plays where they went eight yards like that's how they started the game was three possessions in the first quarter interception punt punt in the fourth quarter taking out the drive at the end of the game where you ended up having uh you know the end of the game be the result which was good they had to close it out and they did but they kind of backed their way into it because in the fourth quarter on top of the interception punt punt to start the game it was field goal after three plays and just six net yards like they gained six yards they kick a field goal which just tells you the field position was really bad and then they go punt punt for the remainder of the game three plays two yards gained three plays four yards like it was two and out two and out two and out in the fourth quarter yeah six yards two yards four yards in the first quarter, as I say, it's one play, five play, two plays, zero yards, negative one yard, eight yards. So I think to your point when people say, oh, you're just hating on the riders. and Yeah, it, like, this stuff is important to start well and to end well. And this is a game where you're playing against an inferior opponent that's much worse than Calgary and much, much worse than Winnipeg. Those are the teams you got to go through in the West. Use this as an opportunity to learn and get better. And I yep. didn't I didn't see that from them on the weekend.
1: Yeah. And, you know, to bring up your point, I know you already analyzed the Ticats game. It's the thing that scares the hell out of me for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They fade in the fourth quarter. Like, look at the games. They had the game in Toronto, uh, the game at home against Toronto, where they faded in the fourth quarter and Toronto came back and won the game with Claude Bethel Thompson. They had the game against Montreal. They faded in the fourth quarter. Montreal came back and won the game in overtime and the game against BC. That shouldn't have come down to a hell Mary attempt to tie the game for, for BC. Hamilton should have closed that game out. But in the fourth quarter, their offense couldn't get a first down when they didn't needed it the most. And I worry uh, if you're going to go into a playoff game against a Toronto uh, or potentially a Grey Cup against Winnipeg, and I'm putting Winnipeg in there already, um, that, that scares the hell out of me. Because if you work so hard to get that lead, you have to be able to close it out. And they haven't been able to do so.
0: Uh, Yeah, so that that was the gist of of Edmonton, Saskatchewan, which I think is totally fair. Let's move on to Toronto, Ottawa. (laughs) I think this might have been the most conversation-worthy game of the weekend. And not all negative things. Devontae Dedman becomes the fastest player in CFL history to get five return touchdowns to start his career. Let's just soak in the call here, shall we?
1: Deferred, wanting the ball to start the
0: second half. They have it in the hands of Devontae Dedman. Starting at the 10, up across the
1: 30. Slides through, Goodness. starting the second half this way. Devontae Dedman takes it in for the Ottawa touchdown.
0: He hands it to a practice roster player, which I don't know why. You give that ball to a fan, man. Come on. Uh, but he ends up getting <laughs> into the end zone to kick things off in that second half. He's really explosive and special. There are people saying he's the most explosive player in the CFL. And I vehemently disagree with that, <laughs> Which, which I don't know if that's a hot take or not. But... I, I kind of hate sometimes that people equate return game guy who can score to explosive. Like, yeah, he creates explosive plays, but I, like, I would take Lucky Whitehead with the burst that he has over Devontae Dedman, smoothly working his way through the blocks and bouncing off tacklers. His advantage, and I don't think people realize this because they haven't stood next to him the way they have, his advantage is that Devontae Dedman's kind of thick. Like, he's not your wire-thin, speed-track guy return He's kind of thick. Like, he bounces off people. He makes his way through arm tackles, I think, really well. So that's cool to see. But really, Bob Dice and the job he does with that special teams unit, aside from Lewis Ward struggling this week. Sorry, Lewis. Um, <laughs> I, I love what they do, but their systems are so sound on special teams. It's the reason why the hoopla this week was all about, we got Richie Leone, we got Lewis Ward, we got Devontae Deb. It's because Jeremy Snyder in that group, John Marquette Bayer, they are trying to piece together the successful things of their roster and then tweak the things that have been unsuccessful. And the thing that has been the most successful has been their special teams, without question. And Deadman is a big part of that. But I just, I don't think we need to characterize him. I think we fit him into the box of, well, he's a good return man. He's got a bunch of touchdowns. Therefore, he's got to have world-beating speed. I'm not saying he's slow. I'm just saying that he's not going to, I don't think, beat anybody uh, that you think of as the lucky whiteheads, the Brandon Banks. I mean, there's some other speedster return guys that are just pure. Like, I'm trying to think there's a... Uh, who's a return man. There's somebody in the West that I noticed earlier this year that just has, has such an incredible burst. I can't remember off the top of my head because they're all mushing together. But um, <laughs> but yeah, he's. it was great to see him get into the end zone again. And it was so much fun to see Ottawa feel like they were controlling this game at various points because McLeod was just getting picked off like several yeah. times over. And uh, some of the decisions weren't great, but it was really just the ball placement for me that was a little concerning on that one.
1: Yeah, um, I thought this game was the... Uh the story ending of Duck Hodges. Um, <laughs> oh, there's sad. such a great
0: headline, Kyle. I saw one this morning that just said, duck lays egg. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's so good.
1: Um, it wasn't good um, for Hodges and for Ottawa. I understand it's a process and it's a valuation process, uh, figuring out what you're going to do for next year. Um, I don't think the guys in-house Um, For Caleb Evans, I think he's at times shown something this year, but there's also some mistakes that he makes that continues to pop up every single week. Now he's going to learn, you know, better over time. um, But eventually you have to turn the corner and string together some good performances. And I understand that his play was not kind of the reason they started duck Hodges in this game. Um, It was because, Eventually they're going to have to see what Duck Hodges can do. Um, Eight of 22 for 90 yards. Like it, it wasn't good. Um, as for Paul LaPolice and the vision that he has moving forward, still believe in it, still believe in it in Ottawa. And whatever general manager goes in there, I think you have the right guy as the head coach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Just,
0: the, the, in the week, I, this is my favorite thing. I wish I would have brought this up earlier. This is... The best answer. And I need to go back to TSN 1200 because I think that's where it was and grab the actual audio of this because I want to save it forever and ever. Paul (laughs) Paul Appeliz was asked about whether or not he'd be interested in being the general manager. And in a week where Mike Tomlin gets asked about the USC job as the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers and says, uh, never say never, but never. He says, anybody asking any other coach about that? Why am I getting asked about this? I got one of the best. Tomlin goes da-da-da-da-da-da and just talks and talks and talks and talks. Lapelise's response to this question was I have a job (laughs) and I love that so much because it's like I mean yeah when you put it that way like there's no real explanation required on it it's like you're happy happy with the job that you have and you want other people to be able to handle that side of things and you want to be the coach and uh, I've also talked with Paul Lapelise before about he feels this time around unlike his previous head coaching opportunity in Winnipeg that he's a head coach this time because he said previously he had been head coach and coordinator and he'd been focused on the offense he was like the defense will handle itself and whatever the special teams core he said this time i am a head coach because i have great coordinators he's like i still work obviously very very closely with the offense because that's what they hired me to do but he said i feel like i i can delineate more tasks and that i can actually honor the title of head coach so hearing him say that where he says this is this is how I feel about what I want to be as a head coach this time around. I don't think at any point the thought has gone through his head as he's figuring out how to be the best head coach possible. Oh, and I also want to do all the GM stuff, like that. I, to me, that just doesn't come across. And it's not that he wouldn't be good at it. I think he understands personnel and I, what he wants for his team and all the rest. I just don't think that he, I don't think he has the drive to be a general manager and head coach. I think he wants to be a great head coach, and there's no shame in that. Like the idea that people would say well, why don't you want to have complete control of your team? And that way you can own the responsibility of your wins, your losses. He is as the head coach, like that's how he's doing it. But uh, I want to throw in some of these stats. Mike Hogan tweeted these out and uh, these were just eye-opening in the second half. And again, Hoagie works for the Argos. So you might say this is Argos slant, but these are, these are interesting. Uh, From Saturday, McLeod Bethel Thompson in the fourth quarter was 10 of 12, 88 yards, a touchdown and a two point pass. A.J. Ouellette was in the second half. I hope John White's injury is not as bad as it seemed because I want to see him in the playoffs. But uh, Ouellette in the second half, 12 carries, 91 yards. That's pretty good. How good was the Argos defense in the second half? Ottawa's was running back Timothy Flanders, which, shout out to uh, his new little baby down there in Texas. That was cool to find out about on the broadcast. Uh, he was held to just six yards rushing in the second half. Now, part of that, of course, is that they were throwing Doc Hodges, second half, two of 10. Ugh. two of 10 42 yards he was sacked three times he had two completions three sacks ottawa was negative seven total yards in the fourth quarter in your final game at home for the year where you have an opportunity to send a message and set a tone and shake up the east playoffs and whatever Ottawa's job was to play spoiler and they had every opportunity to do so. And then in the fourth quarter, you go backwards, seven yards. We're talking about Saskatchewan, not finishing games very well. Ottawa is the king of that, especially in this game.
1: Um, As for Toronto's performance in this game, McLeod Bethel Thompson, it was kind of a prototypical McLeod Bethel Thompson performance. You know, Mike Hogan brings up those fourth quarter or those uh, second half statistics. And, you know, he's at times very good. But he's a slinger. And sometimes when you're a slinger, you turn the ball over and you can't have three interceptions in the game. If you played anybody else other than Ottawa, you would have lost that game. Um, And for a large part of that game, I thought the Argos were going to lose. That football game to Duck Hodges, even though he didn't break the 100 passing mark. Um, 90 yards. 90 yards on 8 of 22 passing. On 22 attempts. So it's not like a David Watford situation where he's throwing the ball nine (laughs) times a game or 14 (laughs) times a game. Um, That was fun.
0: That was fun, by the way. I asked Orlando Steiner about that uh, a couple weeks ago when I was doing the Ottawa-Hamilton game. And I said, like, you know, the offense has taken a different shape with Masoli as it's taken with Dan. And he said, well, if you go back and you watch, he said it, it took a different shape with Watford as well because that's what was required of the quarterback at that <laughs> yeah. spot. I'm like, well, yeah, but I thought that was partially because of the rain. He's like, no, like that's the package we've built in for David Watford. I'm like, all yeah,
1: right, man, I'm like that's cool. Um, and now all focus turns to Friday night, um oh, Ticats, Argos. Yes, yeah, so let's
0: let's dig into this. I'm excited about this.
1: Yeah, um, for Hamilton, uh, it's all to play for. Um, it really is. Um, I think Saskatchewan, that last game of the regular season, maybe for rhythm purposes, Cody fajardo plays. Um, but there's a very good potential that the riders are already gonna shore up um second place in the West Division, and yeah. that game will mean nothing to them. Um, so if you're Hamilton, this is gonna define whether or not the road to the Great Cup in Hamilton goes through Hamilton. Yes. Um, so I think the Ticats should feel confident, um, but there is, you know, spots of concern, um, at least for me, looking at how these two teams match up. The Ticats' defense kind of predicates on their defensive line, getting pressure um, on the quarterback. I think it's one thing Toronto has done well in the two wins over Hamilton where they've slowed down the defensive line. Um, Labor Day, that didn't happen. The Tigers defensive line were all over McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Then that second game of the season in Hamilton uh, between the two teams, like I said earlier, they faded in the fourth quarter, and that's another thing for me. McLeod Bethel-Thompson, as he just showed against the Ottawa Red Blacks, and again, different level of competition. He got stronger as the game went along. Mm-hmm. Can Hamilton do that as well? Remains to be seen. Um, by the way, I don't know if I should say this out loud because uh, the girlfriend is uh, working from uh, home today. Oh, sh- sh- just say, say it quietly. Shh. Friday night. Cats Argos. Yeah, I have a wedding to go to. Oh. How do I get away to watch the game? Oh. A lot of bathroom breaks. Kyle. I have to go to the bathroom. No, you can't. You can't. You cannot go to that wedding.
0: <laughs> you can't, Kyle. This is. Let me say it very, very loudly for the people that are listening to the podcast. This is one of the biggest regular season games I know in the history of the Tie Cats Argos rivalry. You can't go to that wedding. Who's who's
1: getting married? Who is it? Girlfriend's
0: friend oh that's not worth it that's not worth it at all you can't go to that how well do, how well do you know this friend? pretty well they'll forgive you
1: <laughs> it's okay uh,
0: it i mean it's massive it's it's really i and i hope I, i'm <laughs> it's actually, a huge <laughs> game yeah it's it's gonna be such a big the, the environment there is gonna be absolutely insane i am so jealous that i can't go because i have some other work to do unfortunately so i'm not going to be there either and i'm not calling the game oh i wish i was calling this game that would be so much fun um but yeah it is it's, i would have been down at bemo but it's it's gonna be bonkers it's it's gonna be just crazy 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 i uh if i can find a way to uh to slither my way into BMO on that night I just want to be there I don't I don't care if it's as a fan or as media or anything else I just I want to find a way to get down there so uh if anybody is going I'm jealous of you for the people that are thinking about going go like it's gonna be fun it's gonna be crazy and you just de- you deserve to go and enjoy see this is interesting too because I remember down the stretch I believe it was week 21 in 2019 right Kyle where the Argos came into Hamilton to play the final game of the regular season because we saw Michael O'Connor play in that game Dakota Proop played in that game and uh, and I remember you and I were on radio in Hamilton saying to people hey you need okay you need to go enjoy these last couple of games at home because this team is so damn good in 2019 that you're going to end up getting the east final at your place that's great but because you're so good you're actually costing yourself a playoff game because you're not going to host the east semi And that means that if you're going to celebrate how good that 2019 team is, go enjoy the games at the back end of the regular season. Yeah, this is totally different because Toronto was so far out of it at that point, right down the stretch in in 2019. Oh, Hamilton had the East
1: locked up by week
0: 11. They were essentially Winnipeg (laughs) like they were they were Winnipeg is this year for the West. But the reason that I think this is so interesting is in 2019, we're saying go enjoy that team for their greatness, not because the game's going to be competitive, which is usually the selling point man tsn and i'm not saying this with any inside knowledge but tsn and the cfl should market the holy hell out of this game as it's at bmo this is a game that you can go watch a fight for the east between two rival teams i and this is what kind of drives me crazy too and i know hamilton fans try to do this but hamilton has what do you know what the attendance was for the game this past friday against bc it was uh uh 21,000 something so so it's usually over 20,000 even in covid and all the rest when it's not covid or you know normal times it's 25 26 sometimes bounces up around labor day to 28 whatever the gray cap is going to be i don't know what the capacity is going to be but it's probably going to be 30 ish if i were to guess um and i'm looking at this game on friday and i'm like everybody in toronto who loves football should be going to this game I don't care if you love the NFL, the CFL, collegiate football, Pee Wee. I don't give a damn. It's going to be a great football game, and it's it's available for you at a very, very good price, and there's a lot on the line in this one. But if everybody in Toronto doesn't want to go to this game, why the hell do 10,000 Ticats fans not just invade? Like yeah. you're, you're all going to the game the previous week against the BC Lions, and with all due respect to the Lions, yes, you win, you get in the playoffs, so that team doesn't mean shit to you. So if 20,000 of you are going to watch play against BC, why the hell would 10,000 of you not want to go down the road half an hour? I know it's an hour sometimes, go train, travel, yeah. whatever. But like, I, I just, I'm fascinated by the idea that in collegiate football, and even sometimes in the NFL, like when a team is not that far away, like Cincinnati and Cleveland, you see play or like, uh, you know, Buffalo sometimes when they play against Cleveland or against the Jets or whatever. Or in Tennessee. Yeah, that too. Um, And in Jacksonville, strangely. Is there like a direct flight from Buffalo to Jacksonville? Very weird. Probably. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, two mid-major airport markets. But yeah, there's certain fan bases that travel so well. And it's so easy. Like, if you're Hamilton, you can treat Toronto as a home game because it's so damn close. It's like when you see North Carolina play against Duke, right? Tobacco Road and, and Chapel Hill and Raleigh and all this. You don't really, I mean, you know Cameron Crazies at, at Cameron Indoor, you're going to end up having a lot of those Duke fans and the students on the floor, but UNC and Duke is so close that it feels like that could be any team's home game, depending on, uh, you know, how cl- how good the rivalry is and how good those teams are. This should be that. It's always intrigued me why this is not that for every Hamilton uh, game that is just down the street. So uh, I-, I hope that happens. I hope that there's a ton of, and I'm not even saying like, you know, hey, invade BMO and, uh, you know, go tie cats and all this. It's for the, for the sake of the CFL, the interest level, this is a great opportunity to market this and hit an absolute home run. And if you're a Ticats fan and, or, you know, a Ticats fan, you're listening this or whatever, like go to that game man. that's going to be so much fun. And I don't know why people would not say, you know, Friday night BMO that's, it's going to be a party. I just, I don't know. I I feel like I'm on my soapbox in this one. So I'll get off, but I just,
1: I think that's, that's a great opportunity to enjoy a great game. I think we gave the Ticats perspective on this as for the Argos, they don't have to go on the road at all for the rest of the season um, because they're at home to Hamilton. Then the following Tuesday, it's a quick turnaround for them. Uh, They play Edmonton. um, And then either they're going to Hamilton. And again, there's still potential that Montreal could leapfrog uh, some teams. I don't think Montreal can leapfrog Toronto um, at this point, Um, but if you're the argos you're playing for you know first place as well um here and you get a you know a winnable game that last game of the regular season i think hamilton if saskatchewan shows up for a, a fight um hamilton's gonna be in tough um i don't think that's the case for toronto because edmonton let's be honest at this point they just want to get to the end of the season and you know because this year has just not been good for them uh, there's two weeks in the regular season left
0: and i i had to reacquaint myself with what the schedule is for edmonton i don't know if people realize how this is going to shake out for them saturday in saskatchewan tuesday in toronto (laughs) saturday in saskatchewan tuesday in toronto okay is how that's going to go and then uh they're going to end up playing uh what's their last game i think it's bc is it bc okay friday night yeah, so Saturday, <laughs>
1: that's two, a lot of
0: games. Saturday, Tuesday, Friday. And like, that's a busy Raptors or Leafs schedule, yeah. let alone a football team. So By the way, they- is
1: that going to be the lowest rated game in the CFL season? Edmonton, BC, the last <laughs> 10 30 kickoff. <laughs> oh my god, do I have to watch that? I don't know, but it's a 10 10- I- 30 kickoff. Nobody in the East is going to watch that game. Those two teams are out of it. I've
0: watched every single CFL game this year, most of them like three times through through work and prep for other things, but I might I might raise the white flag on that one. I'm, like,
1: I'm not writing an article for that game for <laughs> on dot com. Yeah.
0: I think at that point it's it's okay to shut it down and start looking at the playoffs. <laughs> I think that's uh that's fair. But yeah, November night Oh
1: 19- actually, that game could be a Nathan Rourke game.
0: Oh, that's the way they're gonna hook us, aren't they? I think so. Damn
1: it. Dakota Pru cop against <laughs> Nathan
0: Rourke. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, let's look at the last game that we had on the docket for you here in week number 14. Montreal did a hell of a job hanging around, which by the way, Trevor Harris, I did not realize that we were on Instagram commenting uh, levels of friendship. Uh, but apparently we are because I sent out a note oh. uh, on Instagram saying that I was done calling games for the CFL season and he reached out and commented uh, something very nice. And I was like, and it was the morning of his game. I'm like, ah, Trevor, just sitting around in the hotel in Winnipeg, commenting on Instagram. Cool. Uh, so he ends up going 14 or 25, 177, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Those two interceptions are in the fourth quarter. Uh, I'm not going to say they end up costing them the game, but they certainly didn't help down the stretch. One of them looked like just miscommunication, as though he doesn't really understand the the, I don't want to say the playbook, but the route tendencies of some of his receivers at this point, which you can totally understand. Calaro is in control of the offense again, mixing and matching with the running game. Bombers kind of do what they do. I mean, there's not a lot to take away from this, I don't think, other than Montreal looked really competitive, did a very good job of being able to create opportunities for themselves defensively, um, get a couple of turnovers here and there. And uh, I think my biggest takeaway from this game as a whole is that Montreal, if Trevor can figure out just a little bit more, how to operate inside that offense and try to stay aggressive and not just settle they are dangerous and this goes back to davis sanchez and what he had to say after the toronto ottawa game on saturday which was toronto might be first in the in the east but they are not the most dangerous team in the east when they play like that and montreal could beat toronto in any situation yeah i mean final if they play uh, just slight slightly bit better than they did in this game Uh, i'll just throw this out there as well in terms of Score differential. I know that we all know. I, I'll actually pull this up on CFL.ca to make sure that I get these uh, numbers correct. But when Toronto wins, they win close games. When Toronto loses, they lose big. And what that, <laughs> what that has created is that you have a team that's 5-0 and at home, that's 8-4 and on the year, and a team that is negative 22 in point differential. Despite sitting at the top of the East Division, they are negative 22 for perspective. Hamilton is plus 66 in point differential, despite the fact that they are second in the division. Montreal is third in the division. They are plus 28 in point differential. The only team with a worse point differential in the CFL, predictably at this point, is Edmonton and Ottawa. And what I actually did was thinking about this, I go, well, let me take, because I, when I track games, I track what the score of the game is on every snap that's taken in the yep. game. And I went back and I, I just took the cumulative cumulative easy for me to say, Jim uh, (laughs) early in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. I take the cumulative, uh, total of all the snaps taken on the year. So through week 13, because I haven't been able to track through week 14 until yet, Toronto's offense has taken 708 snaps. Okay. 708 snaps offensively, the collective plus minus of scoring. Negative 2,089 points. <laughs> now, I know that seems like a ridiculous number, and it's just exacerbating what you already have from yeah. that, from the plus-minus. That's crazy. and first. <laughs> but they have spent the year collectively trailing by 2,000 points. <laughs> and I, I was thinking, okay, well, let me look for some, again, Canadian football perspective. Let me look for some perspective on this. So I went to Winnipeg, right? Because Dominant played very well throughout the year. Their yeah. cumulative plus-minus is plus 2,451 points. (laughs) So there's a 4,400 and some odd point difference in terms of how you have played the game trailing or leading throughout the year uh, between these two teams, which again, I know those numbers are completely useless, but I was just monkeying around with them and thinking, well, that's kind of fun.
1: Yeah, so just a couple of things here. One, uh, just for a second here, back to that Toronto-Hamilton uh, yes, matchup. Yes. So right now, Toronto has the season series on Hamilton. Um, if Hamilton wins, it would be even 2-2. It comes down to the second tiebreaker, which is point, um, point differential in the games that you've played against each other. Tycats beat the Argos by 13, I think, on Labor Day. 32-19, I think, was the score. The Argos have two one-point victories. So that's why Hamilton, if they win, they would get the season series uh, on Toronto and oh. leapfrog them and go into first place. Um, as for the dominance of Winnipeg, they've won eight straight games by double digits, yeah. eight straight games by double digits. The last game that they didn't win by double digits. You have to go back to the last game of August against Calgary. <laughs> that was the Jake Meyer game.
0: Yeah. It was. For <laughs> yeah. By the way, good teams win great teams cover.
1: Well, they didn't cover this. Ah. I had the Alouettes plus uh, I think it was 12 and a half the Damn. spread and they ended up losing by 10. Why was that 12 and a half though? I know that's easy to say in hindsight, but like Montreal,
0: I don't know. I guess it Winnipeg's wasn't... at home. Yeah. Boy, Winnipeg at home is pretty, pretty big.
1: The week before Winnipeg was uh double digit favorites on the road. So this time oh. they returned home And again. You get what that is. <laughs> you
0: get like, what you get.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like. You know, Winnipeg double-digit, you know, favorites, and what do they do? They go out and hammer BC 45 nothing, and it's yeah. like, well, yeah, that's, that's why they were favored. But you can't raise that number up so high where it's like, okay, the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers are, you know, 32-point favorites. This isn't college football. Right.
0: Yeah, Some situations, yeah. this should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Absolutely. Uh, so that is... Uh, Montreal, Winnipeg for you. Anything else that you want to throw in there on on where Montreal looks like they are trending? Are you with me that they, they feel like they could beat anybody in the East, but they need a little bit more? Like, yeah, I, I just, I don't get the sense that the way that they are right now could win the East and get to a great cup. I feel like they have the potential to do so, but I just don't know if Trevor is going to find that next gear or because you're already driving William standback Yeah. Full throttle. Like that guy is the engine that drives everything forward. I don't know if there's much more there for you to gain ground with standback I think it has to be at quarterback.
1: Look, if Montreal, you break down personnel, they have the playmakers to I think beat anybody in the East division or anybody in the CFL, not named Winnipeg, um, you know, Quan Bray, Cunningham like they Winicky like they have guys that can make plays especially downfield you know we talk about Cody Fajardo getting some sort of chemistry with you know Duke Williams it's the same question in Montreal you know except it's the other way around you have a quarterback trying to get some chemistry with the rest of his team mm-hmm. and when you hand the ball off to Williams stand back you know usually good things are going to happen but i always say this can you rely on a run game to win you everything i don't think you can right winnipeg in 2019 might be the unicorn in that that they were able to figure out with andrew harris you know running the football but they did a lot of creative things when it came to play calling um that were able to get them over the top in montreal trevor harris is going to have to be better and make more plays for montreal to be successful in the playoffs um as for you know his Mistakes in this game, I think Trevor Harris still gives you a chance to win, but I wonder if Vernon Adams Jr. him getting hurt um left a different dynamic of playmaking ability because I think he has a different you know set of playmaking ability capabilities in terms of you know running the football, also slinging the ball downfield and being that type of slinger because I think Montreal if, and maybe Trevor Harris is going to have to, you know, realize this too, Kahari Jones will probably have to turn back the clock a little bit and whatever they're doing in the passing game with Vernon Adams, Jr. um, They're going to have to bring that back in a situation where maybe William Sandback is not running for over hundred yards. He has, you know, 60, 70 rushing yards and you're like, we need chunk plays. And if we need chunk plays, can Trevor Harris be that guy for us? I don't know if he can at this point in his career.
0: It doesn't feel like it
1: right no. now.
0: And I again, I'm forever the optimist on a lot of people in this league. I've been accused of that of Caleb Evans this year, which has been accurate. I've just been asking, give him time, give him time. Cody Fajardo with the deep ball. I'm saying, give him time. Let him figure it out. Give him a piece. Okay, he's got Duke Williams. Give Duke Williams time. At some point, time is going to run out on this thing. And Montreal, you're right. They cannot, they cannot beat Hamilton and Toronto unless they get a little bit better quarterback play. And I'm not even saying better as in completion percentage or effectiveness. I'm saying... You have to to seize the moment and make plays. Like Zach Colaros and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers offense, they have pretty good second down and distance to work with. But th- I think they lead the league in shot plays, like 31 plays of 30 yards or more through the yeah. air. And when I think of Zach Kolaros, I don't think of, well, he's throwing it all over the place like Michael Riley. He's constantly just chucking it. He picks his spots. But the thing about Zach and that Bombers offense, they're so effective when they decide to take their shots. And for Montreal, it's like you don't you don't need to be anything other than effective when you decide to take your shots, yeah. because that's what Winnipeg is based off of. And Montreal can do the same thing as Winnipeg with Andrew Harris: run the ball, control the clock, time of possession. Like to me, this was almost the Spider-Man meme. Uh, you know, br- mirror images of each other saying we want to run the ball, we want to be physical on defense, we want to create turnovers, and we want to take shot plays with our offense. Difference being, when Zach does that, turns into touchdowns. When Montreal does that, turns into incompletions. Yeah, and, and I think that was probably the difference in this game. And, and sometimes not even in completion. Sometimes it was the two interceptions in the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah. I know we have to wrap things up here, but I've been talking probably since week five after the bombers really showed that, oh, this team's dominant this year. Mm-hmm. And they're going to, you know, potentially win everything again. Um, I said, if that defense continues to play the way that they are, and they have Willie Jefferson, Jackson, Jeffco, Adam, Big Hill, do they cancel each other out for MOP? Um, I have a hard time deciphering who's going to win the MOP, you know, of those three guys on the defense. And I said, if Zach can create enough of a gap between him and the rest of the quarterbacks in the CFL, I think he wins the MOP. Well, I think Zach Kalaros is your 2021 MOP simply based on, there's no quarterback that can hold a candle now to his statistics. Like there's none. The only one that was kind of able to do so was Vernon Adams, Jr. or, or yeah, it was Vernon Adams, Jr. And he went down with the injury and, at times, early on in the season, maybe to the midway point, was the BC Lions and Michael Riley. Um, but you're not going to give an MOP to a guy who missed the playoffs, yeah. right? So I think Zach Kalaros is your MOP this season.
0: Yeah, I was big on should Big Hill be involved or can, you know, how can you look at this the defense and it, could they find their way into the conversation? And I, I wouldn't that- be
1: surprised if it's um, Zach Kalaros against William Standback for yeah. MOPs. Yeah. So, yeah. Honestly, that, I think that you're spot yeah. on with
0: that, and I also, I was, I was trying to find ways because I just don't want to give it to the quarterback who's winning the most games. So I was really trying to punch holes in the Zach argument for a large chunk of the year, and I think that ship has sailed for me as well. I, like down the stretch here, I just, I'm the same as you. Where I go, he should be the front runner. He's, he's done enough. He's been healthy. He's done a really, really good job with that team, and, uh, and I think that he does deserve it. And it's let's be honest about this too. Zach's been around for a while now. And 2019 Great cup is probably the pinnacle of his career unless they go back to back this year. Yeah. But adding an MOP at this point in his career where he's got a young daughter and a new family and all that, that like that's going to mean a lot to him. And And I'm happy for the person because think about what Zach has been through in terms of, the frustration of getting bounced from Hamilton because they're failing and he's viewed as part of the problem. So he goes to Saskatchewan, then he gets dinged in Saskatchewan. He's battling back and forth for the opportunity to play in Saskatchewan. Then he does get the opportunity in Saskatchewan. Then he gets dinged by Simone. Then he's out for the year. Then he gets moved to Toronto. Then he's The last five years for Zach Bilar have been pretty crazy. And I'm sure that that's taken a toll on him. So to see him stand alone atop the mountain of CFL marquee players with an opportunity to go back to back is pretty damn cool
1: yeah um definitely cool for for zach and you know he's a good guy and you know he showed that in his time in hamilton i remember uh early days of marshmallow <laughs> or it wasn't even marshmallow uh, it was i think before we got our show um he was sitting in in studio with you yeah. um as i was a producer when uh, he was uh overcoming his acl injury and you know during the day at tight catch training camp because zach wasn't going to be ready anytime soon and it was like, yeah, Zach doesn't really need to be in meetings. <laughs> so he just came to hang out with us for a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, uh, <laughs> I, I do remember asking him about Johnny Manziel as well, because at that point, Johnny was on the TyCats negotiation list. Yeah. And Zach was like, bring him to Hamilton. I don't care. I'll just beat him out. Like he, <laughs> was, he was so confident in his own abilities. And I remember being like mind blown, like what, how could you ever think that you're that much better? But he knew like, and this is the thing about Zach. He knew he understood. His entire vibe was yeah. just, I know who I am. I know what I'm about. I know how good I can be. And that's carried over into everything he's done yeah. in, in Winnipeg. I uh, I do have two clips here that I just want to play. One is called Calaro's Cliché Sandwich. This is from when we used to do our useless sound montage. We
1: got the result we wanted. Uh, we had to clean a lot up. No, it starts with me.
0: There you go. Just the cliché sandwich. <laughs> just uh, starts with me. We've got a lot of things to clean up. And the other is, remember when we were on the trade deadline, Kyle, and we were trying to report the Calaro's trade? uh, out of Toronto or out of Saskatchewan, whatever it was first. And we decided to recklessly just, just say that it was going to happen and then hope that it was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I think I have that clip. For you. I am reporting exclusively that Zach Kolaros has been traded to the Winnipeg blue bombers. I have no sources. And it is not confirmed. I'm just (laughs) reporting it. Uh, That is reckless speculation at its finest, but hey, it was right. And I (laughs) I didn't get credit for it. I was pissed the next, that was the whole bit we did on radio was, I'm just going to say this. And if it's right, I'm going to complain about not getting the credit for it.
1: Okay. Side note to end the show. Yes. um, I know we have to wrap up. To all those CFL fans that think bad officiating only exists in the CFL. (laughs) And I'm not saying bad officiating solely exists in the CFL. You know, Dave Foxcroft did the, did the the game uh, between uh you know Hamilton and BC over the weekend he i think is the best official and that crew or and i know they don't have crews you know necessarily right. in the CFL um but foxcroft i think is hands down the best official we have in the CFL but anybody that thinks bad officiating only exists in the CFL watch that buffalo bills jaguars game first <laughs> off both teams were crap the bills were super bad in that yep. game um the officials in that game, they should have came out in the second half with literally different jerseys on, like and have clown noses on. Like it was a disaster. That first half, Marsh, they called an illegal shift on a kicker. Hmm. They got the number wrong. Okay, it happens. You get the number wrong. Then they come back in this, a couple of plays later or a couple of drives later, they call a personal foul penalty. On Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky didn't dress. He has COVID. I'm like, you can't screw up the number twice in literally two drives. And then they finish off with in that second half, everybody on the broadcast, everybody in the crowd was booing the officials in Jacksonville. I know there was a lot of Bills fans there. There was clearly a false start penalty. Not one player. The entire offensive line jumped early. (laughs) Miles early, and these guys don't call a false start penalty. The, the officials in that game I put out on Twitter are unfit to referee professional football. They just look clueless. In that first half, there was also calls made where there was a 15-minute discussion about the call that was just uh, the made. move on yeah, let's
0: it's go gotta, it's got to happen quicker Unless uh, lest you think that we're just bashing the nfl for fun here's tom Valesi, not knowing uh who had a penalty in a game from a couple years ago that we clipped.
1: montreal number 20 yards 21 that five-yard penalty will result in a first down
0: uh it happens to the best of us tom don't worry about it it's all good uh, that's going to do it for us today by the way the most damning thing i would say coming out of that bills jaguars game was shaquille griffin of Jacksonville. Uh, a reporter tweeted out, I'm at Jacksonville post game where Shaquille Griffin told the media that he looked across the field during the game to the Bills sideline. And he said their energy was nowhere near the Jaguars. He then told his teammates, that means the Bills don't deserve to win. And let's go show them why. I was like, god damn if the jacksonville jaguars have more energy than you on their sideline while they're playing for their uh despondent head coach urban meyer that's that's probably not a good thing
1: so spencer brown and john feliciano can you do (laughs) me a favor and like take the tb12 method to get healthy (laughs) because the Dawkins or or, uh, daryl williams a right tackle yesterday Uh, and uh cody ford a right guard those guys they were awful yeah. completely awful
0: couple of former uh buffalo bills now with the riders we'll see how they look this week coming up duke williams of course trying to get into the flow deon Lacey, still a leader of that defense out there yeah. in saskatchewan so uh lots of tie-ins on all of this stuff thank you so much for listening as always we do appreciate it at marshmallows where you can find us of course at cf perspective thank you to fox 40 again make sure that you are getting geared up for game day with them head over to fox40shop.com for fox 40 gear whistles and coaching boards use the code cfp15 at checkout for fifteen percent off of your order that does it for week number 14 we'll be back next monday with a full recap of week number 15 in the canadian football league as we head down the stretch here on canadian football perspective this game is ended
1: let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of turn a red light into a green light just keep living